It's the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, the Wolf and Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 162nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime from the east coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate you tuning in 2023. We had a great year on the show, reached a lot of new listeners from all over the world, heard some great stories on the show, and we really appreciate all your support. So hopefully you listened to our parts one and two of 2023 in review and caught our most recent episode of First Concert Memories, our new monthly sidecast, where we talk to people about how seeing a live band changed their lives. And number six with Marcus the Darkest Goldman from WMMR in Philadelphia was amazing in that he was at the U2 concert live at Red Rocks where they filled not only the Sunday Bloody Sunday video, but the Under a Blood Red Sky VHS. A fantastic time talking with Marcus, and it's amazing because we have seen the show that he was at. So many of us have around the world as it was broadcast all over MTV and sold as VHS and DVDs eventually. But to kick off 2024, as you know, we do a lot of album reviews as an album hits a big anniversary. And being that we grew up mostly in the 80s, From the time we were about 7 to about 17 or 18, a lot of our big reviews and bands that we love were prominent in the 80s. And in 1984, an album came out that really changed the lives of a lot of people, turned a lot of kids on to hard rock and roll, helped MTV become even more popular than ever, and really set the tone for the rest of the decade. That's Van Halen's 1984, with the huge mega hits like Jump and Panama. And I'd say Hot for Teacher is a big hit. May not have gone up the charts, but if you watched MTV, you'd have thought it was a top 10 hit as much as they played that. And there's good reason for that if you've seen the video. And if you haven't, my goodness, get to YouTube and see it right now. Well, maybe finish listening to our show, but then go see it right away. It would prove to be David Lee Roth's last with the record. Even producer Ted Templeman had to take a little break from the boys after this one. But it blew up. It's a diamond seller. Despite the controversial cover, despite the fact that the band weren't getting along this album was huge you couldn't get away from it this summer of 1984 nor did you really want to hit number two on the charts just couldn't get past michael jackson's thriller but that doesn't make it different from most other albums around that time but we have very fond memories of watching this on mtv growing up getting the cassette listening to it front to back and maybe skipping the song or two occasionally but we're going to get into all that on the show Now, just a bit of business before that, we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows, music-related, really is something in there for everyone. Check them out at PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And please be sure to check out our amazing sponsor, RareVinyl.com. RareVinyl.com is based in the UK, folks, but they ship all around the world with over 250,000 items in stock. And we saw a lot of orders over the holidays. That was great. We really appreciate everyone who made orders using the code ugly because not only does it save you 10% on your the entirety of your order but it helps support the show and not only will giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast helps support the show 
But if you go to rarevinyl.com, find that rare first edition or import or picture disc or box set or whatever it is you may be looking for, find that, use code UGLY and save 10%. That helps us a lot too. So we thank the good folks at rarevinyl.com. We hope they are recovering after a busy holiday season and just want to remind you, hey, you get that Christmas bonus. Did you not get everything you want for Christmas or for the holidays? Hey, go to rarevinyl.com, use code UGLY, get what you want and save yourself 10% along the way. Now, back to 1984, you have to understand that as 10-year-olds, we didn't know the whole Van Halen story. As far as we knew, 1984 was the first album they ever made. Well, it wasn't. It was their sixth. And obviously, we've done reviews on albums that came before it, like Diver Down and like the extraordinary debut album from 1978. So it's hard to separate the nostalgia of being young and seeing these songs on MTV and hearing them on the radio and keep them separate from the adults that we are and all the music that we've heard since and everything that we know about the band and how the record was made. But we're going to try to dig into all that on this show. It's it's going to be a longer one. It's a big way to kick off 2024. It's us doing Van Halen. 1984 track by track as it turns 40 right here on the wolf enough with the pleasantries man we got a lot of stuff to go over here yeah this one is uh there's chock full of goodness on this thing just crazy craziness and of course, I thought I would listen to it as one does when they're preparing. Mm-hmm. And I know you know that sometimes when I was young, I had to determine if a if an album was CD worthy, kind of like Elaine would determine if people were sponge worthy on Seinfeld, because <laughs> right. that's the difference between eight bucks and 15 bucks. So if it's something mm-hmm. I'm taking a flyer on, I might just get it on tape. If it's something I know I'm going to love or it's a classic, I'll get it on CD. But because I didn't get a CD player till I was like 15 or something like that, mm-hmm. I had all these tapes and I wouldn't replace the tapes that I had. It's like, look, I already have those. I can still play those. I can play them in the car. So I'm not going to replace those. I'm just going to buy new stuff on CDs. But then actually, as I got older, I would buy them uh, on CD so I could hear Mm. them on the CD player, take them in the car in the CD player, or, you know, I'm a sucker for a good reissue and a good remaster as long as it had like new tracks on it or whatever. So sometimes I would do it that way. But I do not have 1984 on CD. I only have the original cassette that I got in the summer of 1984 when Panama was all over the charts. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, this can't be right. So I go look in the V's in the CD section behind me here. Yeah. Got everything they made from the first one through right here, right now, live, plus a couple of live albums. Plus, I guess I have that different kind of truth. Don't have this on CD because Van Halen famously never does any reissues. There's it never gives you any like new stuff. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, I tell Wolfie to get on it, but you know what? He's got good stuff going on his own. Yeah, I wonder too who I'm I don't know who has the final say. I would guess it's Al at this point in time. I don't know how much power in the relationship Wolfie has. Uh, yeah, and but the fact of the matter is back in the day, all the writing credits were shared equally. Well, we'll we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> but technically that's not the way it is anymore. So Right. Right. So, I mean, it seems like at this point in time, it was really the best of times and the worst of times for these people. Because they, I mean, they were riding high. This album would become ginormous. Yeah. But yet there was some real, even though they they'd kind of gone through ups and downs, like, I mean, they were really at the end of the rope at this point in time. Not only with the band, but like with everybody involved up to and including Ted Templeman. Yeah. Which is too bad because Templeman right. was a huge part of creating their sound. 
Right. So, yeah. So what do we do? Well, we kind of say, all right, what state was the band in? Where were they kind of mm-hmm. at the time? As we did in 20, as we told people in 2021, when we did our Diver Down review, basically the story on Diver Down was they did the Pretty Woman cover, the album, uh, and, it, and it hit the charts. The record company liked it so much. They're like, you've got to give us an album. They're supposed to take a break. They didn't. Mm-hmm. So they went and cranked out Diver Down and not a lot of time. There's a lot of covers on it. It's only 31 minutes. Some people complain about it, but there's still a lot of great Van Halen magic on it. And they did get to do a great tour of it. I think they also opened for the Stones during their 82 tour. Okay, yeah. But then it was like, okay, now we're going to do the next album, Right. And Eddie, who was upset that Ted and Dave were like, tell him you can't do that keyboard stuff or get those synths out of here and stuff like that. He's like, well, some of this stuff is good. So he went and built 5150 Studios mm-hmm. at his house. And that made it easier for him to go in there and fool around and record stuff and develop some ideas. Right. And a lot of people say that was the reason that this album became so big because he could take his time and do it right. And he gets an idea at two in the morning. He just runs out there and works on it for a while, mm. you know? Yeah, which is exactly what he does. There was that story of Sammy Hagar telling about, I think it was uh, Finish What You Started, where he's yelling at him at two o'clock in the morning, hey, you know, from the back lawn, come listen to what I've done. Like, that's just his deal. Like, he, I don't think he really had a concept of, you know, nine to five, What's when, it, when inspiration struck him. I can imagine he would be in that place at all hours of the night doing whatever he wanted to. That's right. And that's what you should do. I mean, you know, Keith Richards gets this riff in his head in the middle of the night. All right, wake up. Put it onto a recorder, go back to sleep, play it the next day. Hey, what's this? Well, it's just a little tune called Satisfaction. Nothing yeah. concerned about. <laughs> I got a thousand more of these. Don't worry about it. So this Van Halen 1984 with the Roman numerals on it, spelling out mm-hmm. 1984, which I knew how to read because I was a big Super Bowl fan and still am. <laughs> but it's got a controversial cover, doesn't it? It's got a yeah. cherub mm-hmm. or an angel smoking a cigarette with a couple of cigarette packs in front of it. And that got banned or like, it, you know, you maybe some places in America where the Christians don't like that. They would cover up the album in London. Mm. They put big stickers over the cigarette. Over the cigarettes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was always a, a cool thing, too, because, I mean, it didn't really have anything to do with anything. I mean, it was, a, it was you know, what's yeah. going on here? Is it a baby? No, it's not a baby. It's a cherub. What does it have to do with 1984? I have no idea, but just it, it's extremely iconic. And I don't remember now. Was it was it existing or did they commission that? Oh, I, there was notes on here. Let me see. Well, you know, it was directed by Richard Serini and Pete Anglis, Anglis, who directed some of their videos mm. and was painted by graphic artist Margot Nahas. And then I guess this Serini guy had collected some of her artists. I'm sorry, a, a number of like artist portfolios for the band to check out including this Nahas woman and you know she had at least she had originally been asked to create a cover of four chrome women dancing mm-hmm. but she didn't want to do that due to the creative difficulty of actually making that happen and so they created material and so uh, she had what's a putto Easy yeah now. it's depicted as a chubby male child usually naked and very often wing okay i would call it a cherub but yeah. apparently putto is a thing all right and the model was carter helm was a child of one of Naha's best friends, whom she photographed holding one of those candy cigarettes that we used to get in the dime store mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah. So it was, okay, so it was existing, and they saw it and said, we want this. I guess so. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is cool because it's probably, I'm trying to think now, that was probably the best 
cover they'd had. I mean, fair warning is cool because that's a that's a painting that was an existing deal. But like Diver Down is just the diver right flag. Women and uh, Children First is the guys, it, but it's black yeah. and white. Yeah, the the second album is that was a little half hearted. Yeah, it was like what. No, the first album cover I love because they're all on there and they're all in color and they're all doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And it's got the Van Halen logo, but just the Van Halen logo on the second album. Like, yeah, that, you know, that's not, you don't get any points for that, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, so this was good. But you I mean, you know, for moms in the suburbs, like, what is that? Is that yeah. smoking? Right. Why do you want that? Like, well, I don't know. It just sounds good. <laughs> is that a put? This was one of the one of the first 10 cassettes I ever got. Yeah, I can imagine because I mean that this hit at exactly the right time where you know you were you were starting to get into music. This was new, and for as far as like economic investment, you couldn't go wrong because you already knew there were there were three huge songs on it already. And I may have gotten it for my eleventh birthday, which was the summer Ooh. of nineteen eighty four. I don't recall a hundred percent, but I mean I know that it never quite made it to number one it was number two for five or six weeks and couldn't get over thriller which Mm. was the first cassette i ever got so yeah no and and the sound was like now here's the thing you and i we hadn't heard the first album yet i hadn't heard any of it i don't think i'd heard pretty woman which would have been you know the album previous and a fairly big hit and a cover from which i had already heard the original by roy orbison so i didn't know who van halen were until mm, yeah, no, no clue jump mm. you're and in the same I, boat yeah and and you, then there was the you know then it goes to the rumor mill of well yeah you know they they've had other albums and yeah nobody had ever heard them before that i knew well exactly yeah no not at all so mtv and jump is the first single it comes out in december of 83 now i've read stories and and i'm, I'm gonna stop you right there because that's the problem with this record in this whole time is everybody's got a story no two of them are exactly the same, and it's very convoluted as far as what was happening. And person A will tell you, oh, it was like this, and person B will say, no, 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 it was this other thing happened. So, yeah, go ahead with your story. My story. So yeah. my story is I've heard that you know they named it 1984, I think because you know of the George Orwell novel. Okay. And yeah. They they want to call it, hey, oh my God, we're here in 1984. Let's call our album 1984. And they, the band, really wanted to release it New Year's Eve in 1983. Mm-hmm. Of course, the record company said, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> First of all, you don't want to name an album 1984 and release it 1983. Secondly, why would we release it on New Year's Eve? You know, that doesn't make any sense. No one's going to be buying it. You know, eh. We can't do a huge run up between Christmas and New Year's. You know, people are doing other things. Or and I and I heard that you know one of their managers. I don't know if it was. I don't know who it was. I said, okay, boys, yeah, sure, we'll do that, no problem. The whole time was like, we're gonna put this out in 1984. Don't don't worry mm-hmm. about it. We'll just do it in January. Then the official release was January 9th, 1984. Okay. Now. Yes. They helped MTV explode. MTV was already exploding from August of 1981, you know, into 1983. We know in December of 83, they had their big Asian Asia event mm-hmm. that was amazing in that it was the first satellite broadcast on cable television. We've talked to Carl and we've talked to Jeff about it. Kind of amazing. Yes. But because John Wetton wasn't there, it didn't sound quite right. So it wasn't the big deal that everyone had hoped it would be. But then right around this time, Van Halen comes in 
with jump. And while the video isn't extraordinary, the sound is. And now we're going from, we're just going from like new romantics, the, the Duran Durans, the Spando Ballets, you know, those kind of people into more rock now, thanks to bands like Van Halen. And this is, this is straight ahead American rock and roll at this point in time. You know, they're from California. They're selling you this party all the time vibe. Eddie got what he wanted on the first, the the intro 1984 and then into jump with the keyboards. Yep. I, I always thought it was interesting. The beginning of the video, no one's playing the keyboards. Yes, of course not. He's just playing the Frankenstrat at that point in time. And then I always thought that was weird. I'm like, well, who's playing the keyboards? Is there mm-hmm. another guy in the band? What's going on here? And then you see him playing at during the solo. And then that's it. Yeah. And you, I think you see Dave like air playing the piano or the keyboards at some part in, mm-hmm. in there, like kind of saying, oh, yeah, this is the synth part. The rumor is, and I think Greg Randolph may even talk to us about this on First Concert Memories too. But when they filmed that video, they weren't all filmed together until the end of the day, right? Like yeah. they, they filmed everybody individually so they wouldn't get on each other's nerves or something <laughs> like that. And so when you see them doing stuff on their own, that was stuff that was filmed early. And then when they're all together, that's stuff that happened at the end of the day. Is that right? That's that's what I heard. Yeah. Because, you know, we're, we've, we're just starting this out and we're already at each other's throats. And then I've got, I've got some notes here about how I think Dave wanted it to be, of course, more about him and doing like little vignettes inside the video of him doing wacky things. Some of those ended up in the Panama deal, but it's all like, you know, him riding the motorcycle, him driving the, whatever that was, the 51 Plymouth or what? uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. 51 Mercury. Mm Mm-hmm. And just about, I think he saw that as a way to take them into being more like the Beatles, where you would have like, like Greg was talking about making a movie, just being more of an entertainer and not just singers or not just a band. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's Roth's thing, you know? And yeah, he was with roadie Larry Hostler driving in the car. I was, I was wondering who that was. It wasn't another member of the band. Why At first I thought it was Alex car with him. You know, but no, uh, but we'll, we'll we'll get into jump here uh, before too long. Okay. And here's the thing. I mean, they caught a lot of flack for Diver Down being so short. I mean, it's like 31 minutes and like barely 31 minutes. Mm. Well, this is like barely 33 minutes. I mean, it's not that much longer, you know, and you had a lot more time to make it. Right. Now, what I thought, and I thought the same thing, too, when I saw the runtime, I'm like, wait a minute, they got so much flack for Diver Down, and this is only, what, three minutes or two and a half minutes longer. There is a note in here about apparently that was one of Ed's things. He didn't want too much stuff on the record because, you know, the vinyl, if you put too much on there, it degrades the sound quality. Right. Which I get, which is a true statement, but, I mean, there's there's nothing else on here, and the singles, which we'll get into here in a minute, all the B-sides come from the record i don't think there was anything else hanging around at this point in time no well i i don't know about that because we can get into that at the end um, because it seems like there were some things laying around and they became some of them became different things later but there are no covers on it whereas like half of the last album were covers well that was all original and that was the huge bone of contention i don't think there was any way they were going to put a cover on this record or that would have been the end of the line right there that's right yeah uh, you're, you're i think you're right about that Hey, this is Scott Holiday from the Rival Sons. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So let's jump into this a little bit here. Of course, Eddie's studio is famously called 5150 Studios, mm-hmm. which is the police code for someone who's like crazy and mm. flipped out, lost their mind doing crazy stuff. In fact, there's a great <laughs> there's a great chips in like the opening scene. There's this guy like driving around his car. He's going like 90 weaving in and out of people through the highway. So they pull him over. He's like, oh, no. Now she got me pulled over. I'm, I'm going to lose my job. Oh, so he starts pulling his car apart. Like he's ripping the door off. He's ripping the steering. He's like pulling it apart. He's like, I think we may have a 5150 on our hands here, Ponch. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 5150. There it is. I know what it's that real. means. I think we got a 5150. Now to me, and of course the first Sammy album was called 5150. Mm-hmm. But here's what's ironic to me. What do you think about the opening track, the one minute synth song, 1984? It's only a minute and change long. It's, I think, a giant middle finger to now that I've done a lot more research on this to mm-hmm. Dave specifically, because it is only synth. I mean, I think it works. It's kind of cool. And it it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to do here. It's really kind of two things. You've got that bass that just kind of pulses and then yep. you've got the other part that's on top of it. I remember hearing it as a kid thinking, well, that's kind of cool. It's weird that it's its own song because it's so short and it has no Mm -hmm. lyrics, but it's an opening to an album kind of sets the tone. Right. Uh, Yeah. And it's a little bit of a finger to Roth and even to Templeman, who was on Roth's side during the whole you can't use this because like he had the jump thing in like 1981. In fact, he was thinking about putting on Diver Down. They're like, nope, nope. 
that's too synthy. We're a rock band. You can't, you're just not allowed to do that kind of thing. But here's the thing that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Black Sabbath had a killer album with Ronnie James Dio called Mob Rules that fo- followed up Heaven and Hell. Mm-hmm. The first song on that album is an instrumental called E-5150. Dun, dun, dun. Now, this is not as heavy as that, but it's a little bit similar in some ways. And then at the end, when there's kind of this, it almost sounds like hitting like the keys, you know, or hitting like the, what, what's the thing that the drummers have that, that goes, bring, you know. The, oh, this, like the, the chimes. The chimes, yeah. It yeah, goes, yeah. goes like that. If, oh. it, it sounds like you're hitting a couple of little bit of those at the end even though i think it's all electronic but there's there's a little bit of that in e5150 too that's bleep, 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 before it goes into mob rules mm. the big rock song on it and then this one it doesn't fade into jump it definitely stops there's space between it but then that goes into jump i've never heard anything referenced between van halen and black sabbath but that came out three years before i'm just curious if Eddie, uh, if that was in the back of his mind, when they toured with each other, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, it, it was a big record. There's no way he can say, "Well, I never heard that before." You know, you did. So, of course, I mean, maybe one one of the things that struck me when I was listening to this because I mean, I, I've heard it before, but I mean, if I'm going to listen to the record, I, I may skip over this at the beginning, but. It kind of sounds like your fifth grade field trip to the planetarium, too. <laughs> exactly. Our universe is infinite. Whoa. <laughs> It's I put kind of mellow, very spacey in 2001. Yeah. (laughs) And a happy version of E5150. (laughs) Whereas as much as I love E5150 from Black Sabbath, it's it's evil and it's supposed to be. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, too, is this was a lot more accessible and happy and upbeat. No doubt. And I mean, do you want to get into problems right off the bat here? Well, should we do jump and then get into the problems? (laughs) We can do that, sure. Let's do Jump, because everyone growing up loves this song. And they play this at my daughter's camp, you know, when Mm -hmm. they're trying to get them riled up. Or, you know, I know they played it during her basketball camp. And she knows it. When it comes on the radio, she sings along to it. You know that Roth was inspired by seeing a suicide jumper on the top of a building? Mm. Yeah. And I think the the original title was Go Ahead and Jump. Mm Mm-hmm. Something about, yeah, he's watching the guy stand on top of the Arco Tower who had a bad day, and it's like, and that's what this is for? Okay. Yeah, go ahead and jump, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're holding up traffic. I got to be downtown. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, no, uh, Ted and Dave didn't like the synths, and so Eddie just kind of held on to him. But yeah, it, he Roth remembered seeing a TV news report the night before about a suicide jump. They thought that one of the onlookers at such an event would eventually yell, go ahead and jump. <laughs> and that sounds like America. In fact, today, I don't think anyone would be like, oh, don't do it. They'd all be like, yeah, do yeah, it. Go ahead. I need to get this on the uh, Instagram reel. Exactly. You know, we got 340 million people in this country. You jump, we got 340 million people in this country. What difference yeah. does it make? But let's not talk about suicide. Let's talk about having some fun, you know, getting out there and, and making the most out of life. And that's what jumps about, right? Sure. Sure. And it's all party all the time. So it's great. What did you think about this growing up when you first heard it? It was was awesome. It was the greatest thing ever. It was so cool. They were so cool. The synths were cool. But here's where we run into a little bit of a, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Yep. If you were older than we were, and this was not your first Van Halen record. 
would you have said, hey, this is great, like we did? Or would you say, what the hell is this? This is not Van Halen with these goofy synths and just the whole vibe of the thing. Knowing me, I probably wouldn't have liked it. Right, but, I, I would say I would probably, I would probably be in the same boat. But since since was this was the first thing I ever heard, I can't, I can't separate that from listening to this. But I don't know. I mean, Panama, I would have loved no matter what. Correct. Yeah, that's that's not that's not. I'm just talking about this track. Right talk about now. Panama is yeah is okay. not not up for discussion on that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a great pop rock song. It really mm-hmm. is. Watching Eddie smile and be in the video and stuff and everybody go jump it's it's fun but yeah you can't separate the fact that i was 10 when i saw right. it if i right. was 20 and i've been listening to the first four, five band alien albums as a teenager and they give me this i'd be like what yeah, the? yeah, yeah i, what the I got a feeling this? i'd be upset yeah i think you're right well and especially too okay so you got to figure out you got to remember that this came out early you didn't you haven't heard any of the rest of the album this right. is it and if you thought this was going to be the whole record yeah you may have been a little bit disappointed yeah you're, you're probably right and there's a note that Daryl Hall said Eddie once told me that he copied the synth part of Jump from Kiss on My List. Like, because your kiss is on my list and used Ooh. it to create Jump. Okay. That is not very Van Halen. Yeah. Luckily, not- Daryl didn't have a problem with it. So he's not like seeking royalties or whatever. But yeah, that's not those two don't go together. But this is, I think, where Van Halen doesn't get enough credit for everybody else because you get the you get the the synth part. But then when Alex comes in with that original drum beat, that boom, 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 boom. Okay, that sells the heavy right there. Like that that makes it, you know, it's not going to be super goofy. Right. And I think he does a great job, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later, about filling in his part. And, and I think he is, we must have talked about this before. I think he's extremely underrated as a drummer. Yeah, no, he was a fantastic rock drummer. There's no doubt about it. The problem is he's got a brother. Correct. In the band. Mm-hmm. with the same last name yes. who doesn't look like a mongoloid <laughs> he is one of the least attractive men in the history of rock alex van halen right. he makes you... getty lee look like a model well he was all at this point in time he's always wearing sunglasses right yeah. like that's just his look and then you see some of the old pictures without you're like oh now i know why now i know why you stick to the sunglasses look yes exactly goodness gracious how are you guys related so yeah now here's the thing because Angus and roth directed the video mm. they got a little confident about what they were doing there and it won an mtv music award for best stage performance even even though it wasn't technically on a stage like a stage they perform on is more on a sound stage right mm-hmm. but yeah and if you recall in the video right before they go into the final chorus 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 dave does a little oh right you remember that i remember that not for only your- do i remember it I can't listen to the song without thinking about that. Exactly. Exactly. It's like burned it's, in your brain. Yeah, like like it comes on the radio it. and you're like, yeah. you think they'll play it this time? I don't know if I ever heard it on the radio. No, I think it was just for, it, I mean, it may have been the single maybe, 
or the video, but I mean, I don't think they ever played the single, and I've, I don't think I've ever heard it. It was only ever in the video. Exactly. But I, I sing it every time but, mm-hmm. that it's on. And there's a there's a little bit of a uh, misremembering or something about the lyrics too, because I've got a note here that Dave said that he uh, that the roadie drove him around in the car and he thought of it. And then Ted the Ted Teppelman states that he and Ro- he got pissed at Roth because of he wasn't coming up with anything, so they went out in the parking lot and he just beat the shit out of him until he came up with the lyrics that they needed. I gotcha. So again, who knows? Well, you see. Dave doing some of his jumps and his big kicks in there. He dedicated it to Benny the Jet Urquides or Urquides. He's a big buddy of John Cusack's. He's been in a bunch of John Cusack films, usually as a not as a speaking role, generally speaking, but he's the one who kind of taught him the kickboxing. So if you've seen Say Anything, where he's like in the gym and being a kickboxer and doing all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, that's real. He really can do that stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure Benny is in that one. And Benny was in he in uh, Gross Point Blank, where John played a an assassin, the little guy who shows up to his reunion and he stabs him to death in the hallway. That's Benny. Okay. Uh, he did a horror film called Room. I can't remember the name of it right now. It was like Room Six Four One Two or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Right. And that guy was like a you know a little demon that was kind of running around <laughs> there. He was also in the movie that had James Woods and Lou Gossett Jr. when they were like doing a like boxing boxers. thing. Yeah, 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 okay. And I think he was the referee in that oh, movie. Right. So you, you see him once in a while. But anyway, I digress. They say they spent more money on pizza than they did making that video. It, it looks very low rent now. You can tell it was just... It was just them, whoever did the costuming, which whenever I think of Eddie Van Halen, I always think of him either in that yellow... Uh, striped sh- yep. uh, jacket or the dice shirt with no sleeves on it <laughs> or dave with his you know different color things and doing his kicks and mouth and jump into the camera yeah i i loved it i have to admit as a kid i i loved it and sure i wanted to get the tape but i couldn't get a tape based on one song mm-hmm. i had to wait so it wasn't i'll wait it was i waited i guess oh, but man. it did okay as a single Right. I mean, it sold over a million copies in the United States and went platinum in the UK. And I mean, you know, number one on the US hot billboard, number one mainstream rock. Even in the UK, it went to seven. Van Halen typically doesn't do that well in the UK, but this song, I think, caught them, you know, and they went right. top 10 a, a lot of other places around the world. Very radio friendly. I could see why we have, why it's caught on there. And and also, I think very American at the time. Like, you know, you, I don't know how much MTV they had there, but I can imagine that, that it, they were selling kind of the American lifestyle or the American dream to these people. Like, oh, this is, this is what happens every day in <laughs> Southern California. Pretty much. Yeah. Now, Sammy didn't like to sing Dave's songs famously, mm-hmm. but he sang Jump because he liked it. And while we were living together and they did the uh, live right here, right now, Mm-hmm. They did release Jump as a single with Sammy singlet, sing, singing it, and it didn't really chart in the USA, but it did get 26 in the UK, which kind of surprised me. Did well in the Netherlands because that's where Van Halen's from. It's you know, right. of course they're going to do well. 
But what's interesting is that Alan Fitzgerald is credited on the keyboards for that. He was off stage. Whereas I thought that I mean, Eddie always said he programmed it. It's like, it's me playing. It's just programmed. Mm-hmm. That's all. But yeah, I mean, if you're doing it a tick slow or a tick faster that night, the keyboards aren't going to match. So yeah, it's, it's live. And he played with them from 91. So we saw them with him to mm. 2004 again in 2007 again in 2012 he also played i mean he was in montrose with sammy and he played keys in night ranger okay and it was an offstage deal yeah okay yeah because i don't i don't remember anybody else there so okay he's standing in the back or underneath or whatever playing that and then i guess when ed steps up to the keyboard he takes a step back yeah but he he played on all night rangers 80s albums which are all their big ones so a little bit that i did not know there Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think you're right. There is, you do run that risk of pre-recorded stuff if something is off. Right. In the live deal, you're going to hear it real quick. All right. Well, that's that's a huge one. Number one hit for them. Big mm-hmm. video. Let's move forward. Ooh, right. The next song on side one is Panama, one of the greatest rock songs in the history of ever. Yes. And here's correct. the thing. I had never heard Ain't Talking About Love at this point, right? Right. So when I hear that heavy riff, I'm like, wow, what is that? That is awesome. Couldn't get enough of it. And and I'm glad they tracked the record like this, too, because I know the second single is I'll Wait, which is keyboard heavy also. I think they did a good job of abandoning that for now and going straight into more of the, the straight ahead rock stuff because that would have gotten, I think that would have set the wrong tone. So yeah, this is this is awesome. The plane at the beginning is awesome because it makes no sense. I think it was just a stock piece of footage they grabbed, but it it gave you a chance to get yourself set for the video too. You knew what was coming. Yeah, you're right. But let's step back for a second because yes, Jump comes out. Mm-hmm. It goes to number one in like February. Renoff was talking about that. How like when he bought tickets to see them, suddenly the album's number two and is this song is number one. So he's all excited about it. But I'll Wait was the second single, and I don't think I heard it until I bought the album. Correct. Yeah, because, I mean, if it if it didn't have a video, it wasn't on MTV. And if it wasn't on MTV... Yeah, you forget can forget it. about it. Yeah. So then, so, but, so that comes out in December, gets big by February. I'll Wait comes out in April. I have no knowledge of it. But Panama comes out in June, and boom, right? All about it. Love it. And... It's funny because he said, uh, you know, uh, Roth is like he uh, he got accused by a reporter of singing only about women and partying in fast cars. Mm-hmm. And then he realized, hey, I've never written a song about fast cars before. Why don't I go <laughs> ahead and do that? <laughs> and that is what Panama is all about. And I guess he saw a race in Vegas called the Panama Express. Yeah, that's what I have here. It was a, yeah, it was a car, a drag racer, a car called the Panama Express. Yeah. So yeah, he saw it. Now, while uh, House of Pain was the B-side for Jump, Girl Gone Bad was the UK B-side, and Drop mm-hmm. Dead Legs was the US B-side. However, for I'll Wait, that was reversed. Right. Uh-huh. right? Girl Gone Bad was US, Drop Dead Legs was UK. So they just kind of flipped those. That's not that uncommon. I know a lot of bands that have done that over the time. But the release dates were also backwards as well. 
because Panama was released in the UK in April, kind of around the time of I'll Wait, whereas Panama was released at June 18th, 1984 as a single. So yeah, that's that's to me is interesting. And I guess that's why the B-sides are what they are, because they were released at the same time with the same B-sides at the time, right? Okay, yeah. Girl Gone Bad was released in the U.S. in 1984 as a B-side and in the U.K. Uh, in, 19, in April of 1984 as a B-side, just with different A-sides. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's a little weird, but okay. So there is there is controversy about the writing credits on here and who does what, and there's also controversy about you know who plays or the bass parts. Did somebody have to sit there and teach the other person how to play? I don't know, but I'll tell you, you cannot discount Mikey's harmonies on this thing. No, that's the Van Halen sound is, is him Correct. harmonizing with yeah. Eddie. Yeah, absolutely. And the video is nothing but fun. It's them on stage acting silly, Dave doing his thing. They've got a wire that lets them swing around the stage. Right. Which I think that was the plain thing was to to say, okay, you know, they're flying or something like that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you've got Dave doing his thing where he's got the he's got the boom box and he's pretending to swim and he's hamming it up. And then at the end, I guess everybody had to have a turn and Alex hanging upside down drinking a beer because you know you got to do something right exactly you know and mikey's got his jack daniels bass on there yeah, was that was that the first time we'd ever seen that first time i'd ever seen it yeah i think so i mean i don't i don't remember I, that was the first time i saw it too i don't know if that was the first time anybody had ever seen it though and can you see yeah just over my head over here the the little one right there yeah i went ahead and got a uh, a jack daniels bass uh nice. a, a totem you know to have there Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got one for the Christmas tree. <laughs> it was filmed uh, at the Spectrum over two nights in Philadelphia. Uh, okay, during the show and at Soundcheck, and I guess a little bit more when they're at uh, in Providence. But fun video, and then there's the there's the slowdown part. There's the bridge. You know, I can barely see the roof from the heat coming off, and you this. That's his uh, Lamborghini. That's Ed's Lamborghini. He he backed his car up to the studio and 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 got that in there. Um, is that, Valerie? In this yep. in this video, I don't think so. No, that I remember. No, she's not in this. Well, she's not a prominent role, but isn't she like sitting in the corner, like having a smoke while Ed's doing something? Or am I thinking of something else? Huh? I'd have to. I don't remember that. I'd have to go back and look. I feel like it is. Okay, her. Well, there you have it. Then I always thought that that because you never you didn't know what it was at the beginning, and and uh, if you the the sound. And then if you watch the video, like with that, he's got the hair dryer in his face. Right. Okay. It's it's not the hair dryer. It's the car. And the car, I believe, is a 72 Mura, which is still one of the coolest cars ever made. And if my research is correct, Valerie actually bought that from Rod Stewart for Eddie as a present. Well, that's nice. Mm, right. Hey, honey, I got you a little something. Well, thank you, dear. It's Christmas. I have to buy my own stuff for me and then hand it to my wife and say, this is Wrap what you're up. getting me for Christmas. Huh? So she doesn't just go out and buy you expensive cars. She does not. Mm. Although I think if she did, you'd, 
you'd be pissed. You did what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, they're they're on stage doing Panama. They're riding around in the Merc. And and this is where they, yeah, this is where some of that other stuff was put in, like him, like the footage of Dave getting arrested, which was not not true. That was staged. And then the yeah, the the uh motorcycle part where he's cruising around and then yeah, in the car. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yes, there's Valerie right there. When Eddie's at the piano in a white oh, tux blowing okay. smoke rings. That's okay. Valerie sitting behind him. Yes, now I remember. Okay. Let's let's just uh, put this PSA right now. Do not smoke cigarettes. They're bad for you. However, when he blows those smoke rings, I remember as a kid thinking, that's the coolest thing ever. I know. My dad could blow smoke rings. I just thought that was great. Yeah. Anyway, so this hits big time. And I can tell you right now that at Hanover Basketball Camp in Hanover, Indiana, in the summer of 1984, mm-hmm. this song was huge. <laughs> And I don't know if Woody Harrelson was still there or not. I don't think he was quite on Cheers yet, but he may Mm. have already graduated. I'm not sure. Anyway, number two, mainstream rock. Number 13, Billboard. But number 61 in the UK? What's wrong with you people in England? No keyboards. Were you too busy listening to the Human League to listen to (laughs) Van Halen? There's not enough keyboards on this. I will pass. Now, here's the thing. you That says 61 UK. It says that on Wikipedia. But I went and found a chart for the UK that said it made it to 50. Oh, all right. So you, that's why you don't always look at Wikipedia there, kids. But this is about, to me, the best song they ever did. Ain't Talking About Love is probably up there. Chuck Klosterman, who's a great rock writer and loves Van Halen, puts it at number four on the all-time list of Van Halen songs. But... To me, this is this is about the best they ever did. This is close. Then the only problem now, too, is now every time I think of this, that there's the family guy deal where they're talking about they're running from the cops and they're like, no, Panama rocks too hard. There's no way you're going to catch him. Oh, we're going to get him in the slowdown part. The uh, run <laughs> right. a little bit hot tonight. Oh, here we go. And then they jump the. There's no way they're going to do this unless it's the greatest harm, uh, the greatest harmony ever. And they get over the canyon. Ain't no stopping now. And then boom, on the other side. Every time I think of that now. Panama. It's Officer Stickbutt. <laughs> I got to rewatch that, man. Yeah. So no, I, I love it. I think most Van Halen fans do. Better move on because we're running. We're running. Yikes. All right, let's go. Already. Number four, Top Jimmy. Other than 1984, it's the shortest song on the album i have to admit i didn't really like this song growing up why not uh, i just thought that the I, first of all i don't know who top jimmy was and it was top jimmy and the rhythm pigs jimmy mm-hmm. was a guy who's played around la and gigged out and they never hit the big time because i think they were more into the party lifestyle than playing good songs and playing their instruments really well the tapping eddie does at the, at the start is kind of cool i didn't really know what it was I just you didn't know how he was doing it. Yeah, I, I just I no. wasn't sure exactly what that was. I'm sure if I saw him do it, I would be more impressed with it. But I don't know. It's just it just seems like the 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 song's a little off it's to me. Tad, yeah, it's a tad disjointed. Yeah, it's, there's some solid guitar magic from Eddie, Eddie mm, but it's co- incoherent. Right, and I think this was kind of an amalgam of a couple of different things. So the dude, there was a dude, Steve Ripley, that made a prototype guitar for Ed, and that. It was some deal where you could like split the strings right and left. And that's why it sounds so cool when he does the harmonics. And right about this time, or maybe a little bit later, 
Ed did the music for that Cameron Crowe movie, The Wildlife, yep. which is vastly underrated. There is a there's a piece of music called Ripley in there. I think that's what this was. It was like a it was a instrumental, and then they like, no, we can use this. Let's put it together. So it does sound like about two or three different things they kind of stitched together to make this track. Well, and Ripley is confirmed to have become blood on blood and fire, which ended up on a different kind of truth. Oh, okay. Um, and, and maybe even a little bit of our way. I don't know. So anyway, yeah, that's the thing. I just I thought it was disjointed. Uh, I didn't know what they're singing about it. And I used to sing my own version. Top Jimmy sucks. Top Jimmy stinks. <laughs> He's got no hooks. You know, that that was the way I used to sing it. Well, that was I mean, if you only had this on tape, it was very it was not super unless you had a really advanced tape deck. You couldn't really easily skip songs. So, yeah. yeah, you'd have to put up with it to get to everything else. Yeah. And look, Alex does some drummers. Look, it's a fast rocker, but it's not a mm. hard rocker. Yeah. to me it, so it's it's it always sounded to me like they yeah like they, we've got this song we don't want it to be an instrumental put some lyrics in there okay something about top jimmy At, which is about james paul Koncheck of top jimmy and the rhythm picks here's the thing this is the only song on the album Remember we did david bowie's let's dance mm-hmm. and there's eight songs in the album there are four singles and then the other four songs were the b-side so everything was released as a single in some way Right. With the exception of 1984, this is the only song that isn't an A or a B side from this album. And I got a feeling they thought that it was going to be an A side, so they wouldn't put it on the B side of anything. Oh, okay. But I guess Cooler Heads prevailed at the record company. like, nah, it's not that good. And we've got four other songs that we can sell better than this. So, sorry. Moving on from Top Jimmy, mm-hmm. not my favorite song, is to Drop Dead Legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, killer guitar magic from Ed, but these yes. lyrics are roth <laughs> It's just who he is, right? I mean, what's it? Well, I mean, I, I don't understand. What, what's, he, what's he talking about? I don't get it. This is so on the nose. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Killer legs and a giant butt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice yep. white teeth. Yeah. When the night is through, I'm still in love with you. I mean, it's like Ed had all these fun little guitar parts and he didn't quite know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of stuck them all in here. Right. It's not much the, of a song, really. It's, it, I think, again, yeah, it was a piece of music or an idea. And yeah, we need to make a song out of it. It, uh, what I have here is it has something to do with Marilyn Monroe and the scene in Some Like It Hot where she's walking to the train and yeah. you see her uh, ample. Yeah, the steam comes off the train. So dig that steam. And then, yeah, she's wearing a dress with the giant butt mm-hmm. displayed. Yeah, this is very Dave to me. Yeah, correct. With a bunch of Ed cool stuff put in, but it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I don't know. It was like Ed wanted to put all this cool little guitar things in here and dave just wanted to talk about legs and a butt He already did the car song, so now we need to move on. That's true. 
Hi guys, this is Chris Slade, drummer of ACDC and many others, and you're listening to the ugly, I mean really ugly, Werewolf in London. (laughs) But that is side one. Now I will admit that I would often listen to 1984 through Panama and then hit the fast forward button to get to side two. Because I did not like Top Jimmy. And while Drop Dead Legs kind of had a cool riff, yeah, it still wasn't my favorite. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, I would say I would say the same thing. The the riff on this thing is killer, but like, yeah, I could if it didn't if it didn't have lyrics at all, it would be fine. I'm with you there. But side two starts off incredibly hot. Mm-hmm. The drums on the start of Hot for Teacher, the longest song on the album, mm-hmm. are iconic. Right. 30 seconds of this drums. Now, usually if you told me there's a song coming, the drummer's just going to play the drums for 30 seconds before any guitars, any lyrics, anything. And then at about that 30 second mark or so, there's going to be all this crazy guitar stuff long before you ever hear a lyric. I'd say that does not sound like the kind of song I would like. And yet it is one of the best rocking songs ever. This one can't get loud enough. When you hear it, when you hear the drums first start, you know it's time. You know we're gonna get that volume nice and loud because when the 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 drum part is awesome, but when he hits the guitar, it's the greatest thing ever. It's unbelievable. People like to talk about eruption, and people talk about little guitars, and people talk about mean streets and stuff. The guitar work on here may be the best that Eddie's ever done. And then it goes back to what we were saying before. Hey, that's a killer drum part. Now step aside. Here comes the real star of the show. Exactly. Unbelievable. And there's two. I mean, there's the beginning part, right? Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then it goes into big old heavy riff. And I'm like, yes, now we're doing some hot rock and roll. This is awesome. And there was some interesting misremembering this. We don't know what's going on here that I found. At some point in time, they were saying that it wasn't even Alex playing the drums. It was the it was the car again, and it was somehow they they figured out how to the engine running. That's what that is. And then they said, "No, that's ridiculous." He had this electronic drum kit, this Simmons drum kit that he could tune the the bass pedal and the toms to sound exactly the same. That way, you could play the same note but more often, so it didn't sound different. I don't know. It's just a again. Who knows what was happening at that point in time in the who studio? Knows, yes, yeah. But I mean, that's I mean, that's the those drums at the beginning, except for maybe in like thrash metal, which I was completely unaware of at the time. I've never heard any kind of drums like that before. Right. Yeah. And this but is then, one where if you said either Jump or Panama, I could listen to that, and and you know, yeah, they had a video and it was fun, whatever. I cannot listen to this song without thinking of the video. They go hand in hand forever in my head now. The video made the song. Yeah. It was very Van Halen, you know, very, and the story's very Van Halen too. But again, the, the video, now look, the, the single may have been shorter than the album version. And I think most of the singles were like that, but the video was longer. And you kind of see this Waldo guy and he's getting on the bus, like, sit down, Waldo. And there's a bunch of weirdos and crazies on the bus. But his mom was like, 
you know, part in his hair and greasing it up. Wait, like, but you didn't know what it was at the beginning. There's that like that that yeah sound. What is she doing? Oh, that's yeah. the, that's the hair. Goes, and then it, oh, come on, mom. You know I'm not like other guys. You know that was Phil Hartman. I didn't until I until I did research for this, and then now that I hear it, I'm like, oh, that's a of course that's Phil Hartman. Yeah, it's like once you know, you you can't right right avoid it. Yeah, but but one thing I wrote down too is you. Know, so he gets on the bus, and Roth tells him to sit down, and then everybody stops what they're doing. Did you did you take the bus when you were a kid for like ten this? long years? Okay, I just it, it just struck me back then it was a it was a shit show on the bus. Like there oh, was yeah. no like as long as no one was like screaming or bleeding. They didn't really care. They would throw stuff around. People would get up and walk around like, how is this safe for one second? We had a lot, but I don't remember anybody dying, so we were fine. Yeah, I guess. I, I just remember it being over an hour long, you know, oh, each geez. way. And I'm like, oh, this is. And there'd be some old woman driving the bus who just scream at everybody all the time. <laughs> like, oh, God. But you're doing it crisp 30 miles an hour. Yes, exactly. But so a lot of it's in black and white until the teacher shows up and then like is basically a stripper uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah. uh, in class. It was like, whoa. And then it's, oh, it's in color. And there were two just Foxy models in the video. I've got their names here. One was Donna Rupert, who was the 1981 Miss Canada pageant runner up. Oh, all right. Uh, she was the chemistry teacher. Okay. And then Lillian Mueller played the physical ed teacher. Mm. And both of them, of course, tear off their dresses to reveal a bikini. I think that the Miss Canada Runner-up did have the sash on her, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but they had those four mini Van Halen kids, right? Mm-hmm. The, the ones who kind of looked like right. the guys in the band. It was just fun. And it was all over MTV. What was this released in August of 1984, I think? And, um, uh, it, and it was a blast. Now, here's the thing. They could have put Top Jimmy on the B-side because they hadn't released it yet. Instead, they put Little Dreamer on the B-side from the first album. It's kind of kind of weird. Yeah, that is a little strange. Yeah. Although, may I mean, it, it might not be the worst idea because if you put that out there, maybe you get a little heat for the first uh, bump sales on the first record again. That's right. But now we've talked about the early guitar, you know, solo or whatever. The one in the middle is extraordinary. And here's the thing: they film it with Eddie like walking down the uh, lunchroom tables or whatever, doing it. Yeah. But those were only so long, so he had to do it twice. Like he did it, <laughs> came down there, went, rah, rah, and then around, they had to yeah. kind of start it again you know so mm. that's just so very early mtv like we're not gonna have enough room for you to do this just shoot it all twice, at once no so we'll just do it twice you know yeah and it was it was uh, interesting too because in the in jump he's playing the frankenstrat right and then he did by we've gotten to this point now he's got the kramer 5150 guitar so I don't know whether he didn't have it at the time or it was it wasn't I, mean, I don't know maybe he just didn't have it that day or what the deal was but now the to me that's always the iconic Eddie Van Halen guitar is the Kramer with the hockey neck on it mm-hmm. the hockey stick neck absolutely yeah no doubt about it so it's a fun even video even though that's not all that he played on this on this record album to make right. it yeah which I always thought oh he just has the one or two guitars no he had a boatload of them he just only played the the striped ones on stage that's right that's exactly right so it's a fun video it's one you probably couldn't make today because it's too sexist or whatever it objectifies women which is a terrible thing to do and then you know at the end of the video they kind of show what happens to everybody right mike becomes a sumo wrestler Uh eddie becomes a basket case locked up al becomes a gynecologist world famous 
Yes, and and Dave becomes a game show host, which is probably what he ought to be doing now, anyway. Well, I, I I wrote down is that what he really wanted? You know, that's what he he saw himself as, or something at that point in time. Because there's the there's the dance number in there in the middle that is clear. No one wanted to be there except for Dave. I know, and apparently the crotch grab yeah. got like you know a black line over it, you know for a while there before they finally said, ah, eh, you know, we can't fight everything. It's not the worst thing that's happening in this video. Yeah, so you know, exactly. It. And no one's ever, no one's really sure what ever became of Waldo after graduation. <laughs> but they're like, because he had this limo and this like fur coat, they said, well, did he become a pimp? I didn't really make that leap, but maybe. no, it's uh, come on. I mean, you can, you can beat that to death, but no, it was just one of those fun things. Like, yeah, wouldn't it be funny if the dude who was the total nerd ended up being this big time person. That's I think all that was supposed to be. I mean, didn't like Ivy leaguers, you know, like in the 1920s, like they wore the big Ivy, right. you know, big coats or what. Yeah. That's, that's what it seemed like to me. But here's the thing. It went to like, I never knew this. Cause I thought this was a huge hit because on MTV, it was a huge hit. They played mm. it every hour on the hour. It only got to like number 56 on the charts. Really interesting. Yeah. I would have thought it would be up close to the top. And in the UK, it didn't chart at all because you losers don't have MTV back then. So you don't see the glory of Van Halen and their sexist video. But it reminds me of uh, all the incredibly hot teachers I had when I was a kid. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Not even close. Which sucks, you know, because I got to tell you, as my daughter's been growing up now, she has had some pretty cute teachers over the last five or so years. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where were you <laughs> when I was growing up? Not to mention... My teachers always had that like prison guard mentality, like, oh God, there's 20 of them. There's one of me. Right. If I lose control of two of them, yeah. I lose control. Of all, there's a riot and I'm done. Whereas now they want to be your friend and they care about your feelings. And I'm like, oh, there, yeah, there was none of that back then. Feelings? Yes. Yeah, so you need to feel like shutting up. That's what you need to feel like right now. Shocking that that, that did not go higher than it did. I mean, mm. shocking to me. But next is I'll Wait, which somehow was the second single. I had no idea. And we already mentioned how they did the B-sides and when it was released in the UK versus the US. No video for this, Jackson. Why? I don't know. Were they too busy touring? They, they could have been. I think that this was maybe a bone of contention also. I think Warner Brothers wanted this to be the second because it had the synth. Jump was big, so let's put this one out. Mm -hmm. uh, what I didn't realize either is that here's a interesting if you interesting conflict of interest here ted templeman was also a vp of warner brothers at this That's point right. in time so not only the so it's like are you doing what's best for the band or are you doing what's best for the record company so i i don't know why they never made a video for this and i don't even remember even hearing this one until i found the record itself yeah I, and i've heard it on the album I mean, on the radio since, and I probably right. heard it later in 84, but I promise you, I did not hear it before I heard Panama, mm -hmm. unless I heard it and just didn't know what it was. But no, I, I don't recall it at all. And it's weird to me that they didn't make a video when they already knew how big videos were and Jump did so very well, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, I always liked it. I, always, I mean, I know it's a little keyboard heavy, but it's still kind of a hard rocking song, even with all that synth in it. Are you for real? It's so hard to tell from just a magazine. Yeah, you just smile in the picture sells. Look what that does to me. I'm late to love 
it's a little darker. It's not, it's yeah, not, it's not poppy. Yeah, <laughs> correct. It doesn't sound the same. I think that, that Al gets to be showcased here a little more, which is cool. And it's, it's either this or it's uh push comes to shove off of fair warning that are one or one and two of the most underrated guitar solos that he did. Mm. It's, I think it's not right. fast, but it fits really well. And it's, I really like this one. I do too. I, I've always really liked it. And I think it's, I think it's cool, you know, and mm -hmm. it did hit number two mainstream rock. It went to number 13 billboard, but number 85 in the UK. So, but that was the third single in the yes. UK, not the second. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're mm -hmm. already sick of Van Halen at that point. I don't know. <laughs> so here we go again with who wrote this song. Because mm. now there's all kinds of different stories on this one too. Apparently, they had the they had the music, they had no lyrics. Templeman is now beating up on Dave to get him something. He has nothing, so Ted calls his old friend Michael McDonald, who yep. writes the lyrics and puts it all together. Now you can say, well, that's not. You can't tell me that's true. His name's not on the album. And when McDonald figured that out, he was like, and here's a letter from my attorney. Attorneys. Yes. Correct. That is not in dispute. But yet at the same time, Roth can look at you with a straight face and tell, oh, no, it was a picture that I saw in a magazine of a woman wearing Calvin Clement's Calvin Klein underwear. And I was so fascinated by it. Like, you didn't write this at all. And you're going to make this story up. Yeah. Kind of silly. I think this is the best use of keyboards on the album. Yes. You know, it's not as poppy as Jub and the drums during the breaks are iconic. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Al does a great job there. I don't think it's as cool a guitar solo because the synths dominate, but the song is great. I, I love it. I, I think it's a killer song. I'm trying, I'm looking here about how uh, Warner Brothers wanted the keyboard success of Jub. So they rushed to make this the second single, no video, but still hit number 13 is what I have. Yeah, that's right. And apparently yeah. Roth and Templeman wanted it off the album, didn't even want it on 1984, but. Huh. Okay. Eddie insisted, no, this is good. I'm telling you. And if it got to two mainstream, 13 billboard, he made the right call. But maybe that's why no video was made because Dave's like, I'm not making a video for this one. And that might have been it. But I mean, I feel like they toured early. I mean, Greg saw them, what, in April of 84 or something like that? I think so, yeah. So they were busy touring. They may not have time to break away and do a video. I don't know. They may jump. I mean, I'm sorry. They made Panama while they were on the road. So I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Song three on the second side. Song eight overall, if you're counting 1984, is Girl Gone Bad. Mm-hmm. Now, we always talk about how you always forget about one song. I didn't forget about this song. Okay. But I didn't love it back then, and I have a better appreciation for it now. So it's not like I forgot the song. I knew it was on here. But it's better now than I remember it. Mm -hmm. I would say the same thing. The other, the problem too is that, I mean, you've already been through all of these other ones. You've been through Panama. You've been through uh, Jump. You've been through hot for teacher and then you went through all wait at this point in time you're kind of a little bit gassed here yeah but yeah th so th these last two songs were better than i remember them yeah and this is a hard rocker i mean yeah. after i'll wait you know there's no synth here this is more like mm, this is and i like this much better than drop dead legs mm -hmm. i can hear mike a lot better on this as yeah. far as his bass and his harmonies is great on here so i mean this is this is pretty good Yeah. 
this I think this is the fastest track on the record. This this is starting to sound more like old school Van Halen now. Yeah. Eddie actually told an interviewer that he wrote this when he was in a hotel room with Valerie and she was asleep. And so he woke up like during the night again. This is something that Ed does uh, and had an idea, but he didn't want to wake Val up. So he went into the closet and recorded it on tape in there. Nice. Well, I mean, at least he's considerate. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he was back then. At- <laughs> I guess, you know, he's still trying to make it work at that point. But Mm -hmm. I I like the harmonics and tapping that he does to kind of start this one off. I mean, this is, like I said, it's better than I remember. It is hard rocking. It has got good riff on it. I may not have loved this. And again, yeah, I probably, again, at this point, or the first two may have fast forwarded through the end. Right. To get back to Jump in Panama. But this is one I wouldn't skip now. No. Absolutely not. And I, I was, I was, when I we started into this, I'm like, oh yeah, there's those two at the end that don't, I don't really remember. Definitely a lot better than I thought. But House of Pain does wrap up. And this is kind of a favorite of Van Halen fans is a deep cut because mm-hmm. it dates back to the early club days. And, and you can definitely hear it. Like, we, like if you didn't, if I didn't know this song and you just played it for me off the, it, you said, this is Van Halen. Where's this from? I would have said it's, it's early when you hear that riff. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right there. The thing is, I think the vocals are a little muddy here. I, I feel like they're not as clear as the rest of the album. Okay. So it makes me wonder if those were laid down a long time ago and then they didn't do anything with them. And they said, okay, well, we've got the vocals. All we got to do is, you know, record the, the music bit. Hmm. I don't know. And maybe it was just they, for whatever reason, the vocals didn't come through that day. I'm not sure. I've got a note here that it was mixed during the Diver Down sessions. So you're you're right. Maybe they just had it hanging around Mm -hmm. and they just grabbed the tape and slapped it together. Okay. Well, that's a good note because that it sounds different than the vocals on the rest of the album to me. And maybe that's why it's last because it's not as clear as the rest of them are. Mm-hmm. But the drum bits in the middle are good when Dave is doing ah uh, ah uh, mm-hmm. kind of bit there. It's not bad. It's not great. It's okay. So it, I mean, if it's the last song on the record, you know, you you can't expect too much from it. It's for a last track. It's it's not bad. It's not bad. It's not great. (laughs) It's one that had been hanging around for a while. And like you say, they had it at the last session. So now they've got it now. But I want to talk about some songs that I guess were done around this time. And yeah, you you may be right in that they were made for like the wildlife movie, which featured a hamburger doing everybody wants some, right? Uh, No, that was um, that was uh, was that I think that was better off dead. That was better off dead with John Cusack. Two John Cusack appearances in this show. (laughs) You're welcome to come on anytime you want, John. But yeah. So, all right. Tracks recorded for the album that remained unreleased or were renamed Mm -hmm. according to a Warner Brothers memo from August 24th, 1983, something called Baritone Slide, Lie to You, Ripley, Anytime, Anyplace, Forget It, 5150 Special. And anything to make it right, which I guess was just synth. Okay. And then there's a later memo from September 
that adds an eighth title, Won't Let Go, needs lyrics. So I don't know. I mean, some of these have become other things, but but I don't know. And I wonder too, the the what was it, Top of the World from the Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album? That was the end of Jump. It was the same the, that end riff at the end was the same as that. So I wonder if was that did they write that off of it or was that another separate deal that they just kind of slapped in at the end of Jump? Good question. I don't know. I don't know either. But no, Wildlife is kind of underrated. It's a Cameron Crowe film. It had mm-hmm. some young talent in it, like Chris Penn and um, Stoltz was in that, wasn't he? Uh, yes, as was uh, Leah Thompson was in it. Oh, and Elon Mitchell Smith, who's probably best known either for Chocolate Wars or for uh, Weird Science, I would say is number one. Yeah, this was his kind of follow up to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And he did get uh, but I remember Ronnie Wood having a little cameo in it, like he went and grabbed something out of the refrigerator or whatever. Let's see. Wildlife song was by Bananarama, but the instrumental Donut City was the only Eddie Van Halen track appearing on the official soundtrack. So maybe Eddie was trying to do a bunch of stuff, but none of it really made hmm. the list, you know. And I, and I wonder too, like I, I haven't seen that movie in a million years, but I wonder if he did stuff that's not really a song, you know, like kind of, you know, we're driving in the car and they play a little music. And a little that's, bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen that. I mean, that used to be like late night Cinemax kind of fodder yeah. back in the late 80s i haven't seen that in forever but it had a killer i mean look it's camera crow so you know it's going to have cool music on it and had prince and madonna and billy idol and Jimi hendrix and stuff on it but anyway that's 1984 well, it's a n- diamond selling album Jackson. now wait a minute wait 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 let's can we talk about a little more of the craziness here for a second oh sure because again the the story gets a little convoluted because i guess at this time they were not super excited with templeman and what he was doing so the story is that that I have is that Templeman was pissed. He didn't know where the he needs to master this record, and the tapes are gone. He can't find them. The story is that Eddie and Don Landy are mastering at fifty one fifty, and so Ted goes over there. No Don Landy. Yeah, I where, are the ta- where are the tapes? Where's Don? Oh, he's I don't I don't know. He's he's somewhere else. He's like hiding in the garage. And they've got like walkie talkies and everything. They were hiding from Ted Templeman because they didn't want him to finish this record. And so, of course, <laughs> they're telling you, oh, well, I don't know. But then apparently Mick Jones and oh, I know. And then and then Landy said he was holding him hostage or something, the tapes. And they're like, well, that can't be true. And then Mick Jones apparently said he did the same thing during 5150. He took the tapes and just bailed because he's a maniac. <laughs> so good times. So, again, you know, you're trying to finish this zillion dollar project. And everybody's, you know, oh, let's let's do this to it. Let's finish this up. Let's do it somewhere else. And apparently Templeman, like he grabbed, they weren't the master tapes. They were something else and went over to Sunset Sound to mix it by himself from scratch. And then all of a sudden the tape showed up. So just I think they were just out of their minds at this point in time. Everybody yeah. was doing their own thing. It sounds like it. Yeah. And between the booze and the drugs and the girls. Right. And, and 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 the record executives are like that. It wasn't like the band is crazy, but we've got the record people to help rein them in. They're doing the exact same <laughs> shit, you know. So there's no parents, there's no grown-ups right. there, right? You know, <laughs> to rein anybody in. And of course, eventually, I guess Mike got written out of the songwriting credits. Uh, well, the, okay. So then the, that's the that's the story too. Is that now Eddie is mad because. Michael, according to him, doesn't do anything. He doesn't write any of the music. He he barely shows up, you know, unless you 
yell at him and tell him to come over and, and do something. No one except for Eddie Van Halen has ever had a bad thing to say about Michael Anthony. No one. So I can't, and he he won't comment on it. He just has never said anything as far as I know. I don't know. I think he was just having a hard time. And And my problem with that too is, so if what you're telling me is true, you were super mad about that situation, but you were totally cool with giving Alex an equal share for not really doing anything. So... Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I think Alex's drum parts on here is, are killer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Eddie had to say, do this, do that. Right. The fact of the matter is songwriting, according to ASCAP, is 50% melody, 50% lyrics, mm-hmm. which means really the songwriting should have gone to Eddie and Dave. Correct. 50-50, right? Right. Well, And Correct. Michael McDonald on, yeah. on Isle Wait, yeah. But they always had done it a quarter to everybody, right? Correct which usually spells peace and harmony within the band, right? Right. It's the way U2 does it. They've never had a breakup. It's the way R.E.M. did it. They never had a breakup. I mean, Bill Berry retired, but they didn't have any problems or anything like that. But it's not the case for Van Halen. They did it that way, and things still didn't work out, and they changed these singers, and there was harmony for a while, Mm -hmm. and then it didn't work out again. So, you know, the common theme there is Eddie. We know he had alcohol problems. No, they used some drugs sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mike probably did too. I mean, he has a Jack Daniels bass <laughs> that he made on his own. It wasn't like they came to him and said, Hey, here, you know, you can go ahead and do this. He was like, I love Jack Daniels so much. I'm going to put it out there on stage for everybody. Okay. To okay. Well, no, he did it first, but then eventually he did go to Lynchburg and get their graphics right. and, and do it okay. right. But yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, at first he's like, no, I want a Jack Daniels bass. So eventually Jack Daniels is like, yes, Come on down. We'll we'll do it we'll do right it correctly. For you. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but they didn't they didn't say to him, "Hey, we've got this bass that we'd love you to use." And he's like, "Nah, okay, whatever." It was the other way around. Yeah, is he loves it. And generally, when you love alcohol, there can be problems. And that thing that's in the back of your mind that you probably shouldn't say, you're going to say it. But Dave seems like the girls and coke guy to me. Although he okay. was busted for buying a dime bag. And he went from Diamond oh, David Lee Roth yeah. to Dimebag David yeah. Lee Roth, which is kind of funny if you ask me. Yeah, I just think at this point in time, everybody was, they were trying to go different ways. Eddie Eddie was moving into different that sounds that he wanted to do. I think Dave wanted to keep it simple, but also like Greg Runoff was saying, like make a movie and, and just be more of an entertainer than just a... A singer. singer. Right. And uh, yeah, nobody was really having any of that. And I think Alex was just along for the ride. Like he's going to, he's never going to say anything against Eddie. It's always the two of them. That's right. So basically you've got maybe three camps there. Yeah, maybe. And if the Van Halen brothers start speaking in Dutch to each other, then you know, you're really in trouble. Yeah. You don't know what they're saying. They right. say, we need to kick this guy out of the You don't know what right. they're saying. You know, they might be saying, no, we need to go faster. We need to go slower, but they might be saying, Screw this guy. He he doesn't get any vote. We're just going to do what the hell we want to do. And don't worry about what he has to say. So then I wonder too, if if Ed was upset about the royalties, you have to imagine Dave probably was too. I mean, because I mean, in that scenario that you just said, he should be getting 50% of the royalties and not 25. So at some point in time, that's got a grade on you. And and though he gets 100% of the sensible shoes royalties. Nice. That doesn't sell very well. That doesn't get played very often, you know? His his solo albums, especially after the first one, Eat Him and Smile. Right. The, the rest of them kind of went nowhere. What's the what's the one off of uh because if you listen to if you listen to something like an album on Apple Music, mm-hmm. when it's over, 
it keeps playing, but they just pick something else. Yeah. So it was, what was the one from, it was off Skyscraper, Just Like Paradise came uh-huh. That's not a very good song. <laughs> not only is it not a very good song, it's very, very weak in the in the middle parts. Like Steve Vai, he's always going to be Steve Vai. He can play the guitar like no one else. Right. But it's that, it's that middle part that's just very generic. You can tell that without Ed and without Alex on drums, even though, again, Greg Bissonoff is fantastic, if he's running the show by himself, there's a very big drop off between the songwriting and how it sounds. Gotcha. Anyway, this was it. This was the high point mm. for Van Halen. I mean, as far as all over MTV, selling tons of records, cultural importance. This was it. After this, Roth splits, goes and puts that band together. Van Halen and Sammy, and they continue to do well. And I like those Sammy albums. Right. Yeah, De- they definitely got the definitely more successful on the Van Halen camp than on the raw solo side. But they never quite hit the heights of 1984. That's right. for sure. You know, and number two is the highest they ever went with Roth, at least during the first run, whereas mm-hmm. all the Sammy albums went to number one. But they didn't oh. sell quite as many and yeah. they aren't regarded by the fans as as cool. So closing thoughts here what what are you what is your overall thought on this record i dig it i don't think it's as good as the first album but it's different because of all the keyboards mm-hmm. it's better than diver down which was its predecessor which sold very well like five million copies sold or something crazy like that mm-hmm. it's got some of eddie's very very best work on it it's sad that it was over from a lot of standpoints but they did go more keyboard there's a lot of keyboard all over 5150 A lot of it. And Dave is a showman. He's not a singer. He's a performer. He's an entertainer. He's not going to blow you away with his voice or his in-depth lyrics. He's there Mm -hmm. to party. He's there to have a good time and make sure you have a good time. There is a difference between Mm -hmm. a singer and a front man. This this one's hard for me because it always has that special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. I understand that some of the some of the older records they rock a little harder. They're a little darker, but I think overall this is not a bad record at all. It's got some great tracks on it. Even the B sides are not horrible. There, I remember Eddie Trunk was saying something about how you know if you if this was the first one you heard, you kind of get it washes over you a little bit, and and you don't see it for what it really is. I think this is a pretty good record. You're right. It's hard to separate the childhood nostalgia from it. Yeah. Seeing those videos on MTV and thinking they're hilarious and fun and everything. It wasn't till 1988 or so that I discovered Van Halen one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh my God, listen to eruption. <laughs> oh my God. Listen to ain't talking about love. like, this is an amazing album. It's one of mm-hmm. the best debuts of all time. It should be diamond. And I think that 1984 helped it get to diamond. Probably. I, yeah. Because this went diamond by 1999, which means it's been 25 years since it hit 10 million in sales Jeez. in the U.S. So how many more has it sold since then? How many yeah. streams? How many digital downloads? Well, that's our take on Van Halen's 1984. I can't believe that it's 40 years old. I know how old that makes me. But the summer of 1984 was special in the development of my rock and roll love. And 1984 by Van Halen, Panama, Jump, Hot for Teacher, I'll Wait. They played a huge role in that. And it was huge for MTV. And yeah, you probably couldn't get those videos made today. 
because they're a little too sexy for some people. But it was a lot of fun back in the day, and I love the music, and I still do. And I don't know if this is Van Halen's best album of all time, but it's the one that really put them on the map as a pop rock juggernaut. It's also the one that helped break up the band, which led to endless debates on who do you like better, Sammy or Dave. We're not into all that. We just like the music that they make and are glad that they made it. And the world would be very different without Van Halen's 1984 in it, so we're happy to celebrate it and we hope you enjoyed our take on it. And we need to know, folks, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Do we leave out your favorite part? You have to let us know. Email us. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know the bands, the concerts, the albums, the DVDs, the rock properties you want to hear about. Thank you so much to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family. Thanks to our buddy Nige Savage for the new cool intro music. And thanks to our great partner, RareVinyl.com, where if you use the code UGLY, you can save yourself 10% off your whole order. Year's just getting going here in The Wolf. we got a lot of stuff in store for you. So be sure you stay tuned. You subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. If you're thinking about it, guys, give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And until next time, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.